Hey everyone, welcome to the Enneagram of Essence. Each episode of this podcast starts with a short guided meditation and ends with a reflection on a poem. You are invited to join in with us on both of these spiritual practices as a way to bring some more presence into your day. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, I'm in conversation with Jenny Campbell, an Enneagram type four. Jenny has been teaching the Enneagram since 2009. She's certified by the Enneagram Institute and authorized to teach their four standardized weekend workshops. Uh, Jenny is currently a coach in Russ Hudson and Jessica Dibbs year-long Enneagram certification program in conscious living. Beginning in the fall of 2021 and beyond, She will be hosting and facilitating Enneagram retreat weekends at her home in Western Massachusetts in the foothills of the Green Mountains. Jenny's retreats serve as a catalyst and container for deeply transformative experiences that change how participants see themselves and live their lives going forward. Jenny is also the creator of a year-long live online program entitled Living the Wisdom which uses the book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, as a foundational text for applying the teachings and practices in daily life with a community of support. Over the last year and a half, Jenny has mentored me into getting my own online course and business up and running and has been a crucial support in my own Enneagram journey. You can find Jenny on her website at www.enneawake.com. That's www.enneawake.com. All right. So hi, Jenny. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. We are going to start with just a brief centering so that we can really get present and arrive here as much as possible. Um, So let's settle in and take a few deep breaths. Fully arriving in this micro moment, one breath at a time, and seeing if there's any enjoyment to be found here, just feeling this animal body sitting and breathing, all the systems functioning. No effort necessary. Feeling our feet on the ground. Noticing any sensations of energy in the body. And then bringing our awareness to our heart center. Checking in with this dear little heart right here. Allowing it to be 
however it is in this moment. Holding it with love. No need to fix or change anything, but I'm just noticing what it's like to be a creature with feelings. And then shifting our attention to the space of the mind. Getting curious about what's going on there. And allowing it to settle by maintaining contact with our breath. And then we'll close this portion by just again, feeling our feet on the ground, the support of the earth beneath us. And with that, we will enter into our conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. So I wanna start by just describing a little bit of what the journey of type four is. Um, and of course, there's a lot to that. But, you know, the Enneagram is really about transformation, about, about detaching from our patterns and habits. And so we're going to hopefully look at what that's like for you, for you as a four today. And one of, the, one of the places we see that is in what happens in the heart center. And so the emotional passion of the heart for type four is envy that typically shows up as a sense of something's wrong with me and looking uh, at other people's lives and comparing myself and being disappointed <laughs> uh, with myself, being disappointed with others, being disappointed with the world, just feeling like other people have it together and I don't. And over time with work and practicing presence and a lot of self-compassion and spiritual practices, that suffering of the heart can ease up. And then what begins to emerge is this virtue for type four, which is equanimity. And I always kind of laugh when I tell fours that because I, I'm like ready for them to cringe because it sounds kind of boring. <laughs> like equanimity. Oh, that sounds so flat and boring. But really, it's this very enlivened state of the heart that can hold all of the ups and downs with, with a steadiness, uh, like connected to something much deeper than the emotional turmoil that's going on on the surface. So that's a transformation that that happens bit by bit by bit over a lifetime. And then there's a whole nother thing going on in the mind and they're, but they're very connected. There's a fixation that the mind keeps coming back to again and again. And so 
this is um, often for poor, it gets called fantasize, fantasizing. And this is kind of like uh, imagining things that are going to put me in a certain mood, like curating the way I want to feel so that I'm feeling something deeply and I'm feeling a charge. And then that way I can differentiate myself as a me <laughs> and as an identity. And it's really in this kind of search for that true identity and depth, but it's misguided. It's like coming up with things that aren't real. And in contrast to that, again, over time and through inner work and through presence, there's this possibility of um, a mind that is non-fixated and non-attached and this reality can break through. And this is called the holy idea of the type. And for type four, this one's really cool. It's called holy origin. This is this understanding that there really is no separate me, that we all, um, not just we as humans, but every single thing that exists came from the same place. <laughs> and so there's a sense of union with everything that is, connection and intimacy, union with the, the beloved, uh, however we understand what that means. And so that just busts apart all of the stories of the special me and the me who doesn't belong and the me who is different. And it just those two thoughts can't, can't be in the same mind. <laughs> so that's a bit of, of the journey of what's possible for the four and uh, that breaks through here and there. So I just want to pause there and, and see if that sparked anything in you, or if there's anything you would add or, or how you relate to, to those pieces of the fourness. Yeah. Thank you. As you were going through that, I was, you know, just, just thinking about really thinking about my life right now. <laughs> you know, the work, you called it though, I think the work of a lifetime. And, and you also said just at the end there that it breaks through here and there. That, that's more of my experience is that the reality breaks through here and there. Um, and then it goes back to, I'm lost again. Something about the equanimity. Yeah, it doesn't sound boring to me. I don't know if it used to sound boring to me. I can't remember. <laughs> um, but it's like peace in the heart um, instead of this heart often feels kind of itchy and scratchy and discontent and can't settle. And so the equanimity is when it's, it's more spacious. Mm. Yeah. I mean, right now, I don't know, right now in my life, I'm exploring a lot of things having to do with body image and body shame. And it's been fascinating to just track how fixated I am because some days I'm really fixated and I'm really suffering and I feel ashamed of my, of my body. And I feel in, and when I'm in that state, I don't want to see people. I don't want to leave my house. I don't want to, like, I feel like there's all kinds of things I, that are cut off. Like I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Like I'm <laughs> too fat to go on a river trip, that kind of thing, which is not true. And it's crazy. And like in the moment I know, sorry, I didn't use that word crazy, but it's like, it's not rational. Mm -hmm. it's not true so and then you know the next day I might wake up and it's gone <laughs> I haven't lost a pound <laughs> you know? so 
I'm that's lately I feel like I've just been tracking this like opening and closing or um it feels like opening and closing to me or like my heart and my mind are cluttered with nonsense or they're clear and open and um I don't seem to have a lot of control over it actually mm. it's just kind of doing its thing you know I'll get it something will trigger me from the outside and I know I'm triggered and but I still believe I, I believe the stories when I'm in them and then when they disappear, I can't believe I ever believed them. Mm. And I think I'm never going to go back into that again. And then it comes back. Yeah. So I, I don't, I just, the journey is so not linear. It's not like, oh, I was a mess and now I'm great. That's like, not my experience. Uh huh. But, and sometimes I feel like, well, I don't know. Like it is, there is one thing though, that is, um, that is better that before the Enneagram, I didn't have this, which is even when I'm really lost in the stories, I, I know I'm lost. I, I kind of know I'm lost in the stories, maybe not hundred percent, but like, I remember that there's another world. Mm. And before the Enneagram, that was the only world. I didn't know there was another world. So those, those two places that I go back and forth between, I used to live in just the one. Uh-huh. And now there's like a little observer yeah yeah knows that you're in it when you're in it uh yeah I know I'm in it and but it doesn't mean I can get out of it necessarily or it's it's um I'm not as despairing I guess and I'm I'm not it the self-absorption isn't as complete I guess (laughs) yeah you're not so easily fooling yourself anymore yeah so yeah keeping in mind that the journey is is not linear, um, which I find to be my experience too. Uh, every time I think I'm done with some certain lesson, it tends to crop up in a new way <laughs> or in a different level. But um, even so, um, I think it is helpful to to kind of go back and look at like, you know, what were those turning points? in life like like you just named like the before the enneagram and the after the enneagram and there's probably other turning points in your life as well i would imagine but i'm curious like when you look back at your younger self whether that's your younger self yesterday or your younger self 20 years ago how was your your personality causing stress for you and other people around you like how was it trying to mimic or like desperately get back home to those essence qualities of depth and beauty and identity, but just like, so misguided mm. what was going on for you. Well, an- another thing that feels different or a place that I've made progress, I guess, is uh, that I used to, I couldn't bear being misunderstood, you know, by a friend being in a fight with a friend or having something where I felt like they're upset with me. Maybe they're upset with me. I don't really understand why, or um, they're upset with me for something that I don't feel is true. That I used to have to <laughs> hash that out, like mm-hmm. right now, like drop everything, and we need to work this out. And a lot of times that made it worse, if not every time. Uh-huh. So um, I learned that I need to work out my own part on my own and find some ground again before, you know, and see more truth of it and, and take on whatever it is that they're, whatever their complaint is, whatever their criticism about me is to actually take that on and see if they might be right. Hmm. Which used to be 
just, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine that possibility. Uh, like when I was hurt like that, like they're just wrong, they don't get it and I need to explain it to them. So then they'll see and they won't be mad at me anymore and everything will be fine. Uh -huh. But really I'm just not seeing how I hurt them. Um, even, even though I didn't mean to hurt them, you know? So it's interesting to me that there's so much conversation now about intention and impact. And I wish somebody had explained the difference to me a long time ago. It's only recently that I understand the difference between intention and impact because I never meant to hurt anybody. I did. And so I need to take responsibility for that and understand. I need to seek to understand rather than to be understood. So that's, um, that's been a big deal for me. So that, that was the, probably the thing that got me in trouble with in my relationships more than anything else. It's like, we need to hash this out right now. And you need to see that I'm fine. I'm, I didn't do anything to hurt you. And I'm, you have no reason to be mad at me. <laughs> yeah. So what, what helped you shift into listening to people more and understanding them more? Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Um, you know, a lot of times in the Enneagram work, I, I'm so attracted to language and certain words will just stick in my mind. Um, and so understanding that, you know, there's these nine types and I, my personality is organized as one of them and that that one like millions of others who are that same one have this thing about being misunderstood and that this is a problem. I mean, that it's like that, like, I'm not the, I'm not the only one. So to realize that I have this as a hot button, like I didn't know I had it as a hot button. I just thought I was being misunderstood and that wasn't okay. So when it would start to kind of click in my mind, like I'm feeling misunderstood, I'm trying to get this person to understand me. When that would happen, I would hear that word in my head. I'd be like, okay, wrong track, right? Like that's not going to work. And then I needed, I needed a practice to develop my capacity to sit with the discomfort of not doing the old behavior. You know, so when, okay, I have somebody I love who's mad at me and I don't feel like they're correct and I can't go to them and talk it out. What do I do then? Right. So I had to learn practices of sitting and holding my heart and really that first, just holding my heart and feeling the sensation in my body and the feelings and and then being willing to do some inquiry about how they might be right. So that's interesting, like sitting and holding your heart, because fours are such emotional types that it seems like that would just come easily. Like, oh, being with your heart, that's <laughs> easy for a four, right? But, but I'm hearing you say like, no, that was actually a practice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, um, that's, I think that's a misunderstanding a lot of people have about four, that we're good at this or something. You know, the, whatever center you're in, it's your greatest strength and your greatest weakness, right? Your greatest strength, and your greatest liability. So when I'm present, yes, awesome at that. When I'm stuck in the average levels, terrible. If I'm in the unhealthy levels, really terrible. So like the worst at it. Mm -hmm. But it's been also, um, this is a practice that I, or process that I think about a lot or do a lot is that. I have surface reactivity. I always think about this, like the surface of my heart is like roiling, like the ocean storm. And there, there's always something under that. So maybe I'm angry on the top and there's hurt underneath, or maybe I'm hurt on the top and there's anger underneath. And maybe there's fear in the mix somewhere. And under that there's grief, you know, there's always these layers, but I can just live in that surface turmoil and think that that's me. Like you were saying about the identity, like that becomes the most familiar way of being for me. And I do feel less like that than I used to. 
to the point of being a little bored sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's where that equanimity thing comes up. It's like, I sometimes miss like being a hot mess, like just being a mess. <laughs> sometimes I miss it. <laughs> my, my, my people don't miss it though. Mm, yeah, right. So what helps you distinguish the difference between the waves at the top of the ocean and the depths? Like what, what is that feeling or discernment process of like, what is just this ego roiling and creating stories and what is deeper? Um, that, that's actually something I've been working with more deliberately in the past. I think it, it was what I learned in Enneagram training and other places was to just be present with what's here. Um, and it will reveal itself. If I just stay and breathe into what I'm feeling, like leaning into it, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to get over it, not trying to understand it even or explain it, just letting it be, I, I come into deeper levels of it. Uh, but recently I've been learning a, a practice of, of journaling that's really about getting under. It's like the purpose of it is to get under. So, and I, I'm, I'm so reluctant to actually do it. I'm so, so resistant to actually doing it. But when I have done it, it is amazing. It's like, oh, I thought I was mad, but actually I'm hurt or whatever. And there's, there's often just, I find that it, as I go through these layers, I will hit the layer of grief, remorse, which is a little deeper than guilt. It's like not that icky guilt feeling, but like, oh, I, oh yeah, I did that. That's not who I want to be. And not that beating myself up, like what a terrible person I am, but just sad. I'm just, oh, sad, I'm just sad. So I've, I've learned to recognize what genuine grief is. And I always find that to be grounding and cleansing to go into what's, what's under. It's always grief at the bottom, I've found. Wow, yeah. That, and that's a fairly new revelation for me. In Buddhism, there's this, this beautiful description of remorse that it's called Hiri Otapa. And it's like this being, like remorse personified mm. as the great guardian of the world. Mm -hmm. That is this like guiding light that brings us back into alignment with the way that we actually want to be showing up. And I just love that. I love that. But it's like, it's so hard to get there. Yeah. <laughs> for, for me anyway. It is hard. I think it's hard for everybody. I think all the types have their way of defending against going there. We think it's going to destroy us, yeah. but it's, it's actually the way through. I, I know Gurdjieff says them, remorse is the true opening of the heart. Hmm. So all that stuff that's going on in the turmoil of feelings and maybe expressing my feelings or stuffing my feelings or whatever I'm doing in that upper level, that's not, my heart's not open. It's just reactive. And that reactivity is guarding the grief. So if I can just be still with all that and maybe express it to another person, you know, in a sacred container kind of way, it, that's how I'm finding I can drop into the grief. I'm really finding lately that I need to do it in community. Mm -hmm. of at least one other person who's holding that space in a sacred way mm -hmm. so what have you found about why those surface emotions are guarding the grief oh it's like 
it's so it's these places that of trauma of wounding it's so tender it's um and it's young right it's like old and even if it happened last week it's related to something old mm. so it's um so i've been doing a lot of work with francis weller who has a book called the wild edge of sorrow one thing I, this sticks in my head he says when when we something about entering into our sorrow the adult leaves the building oh because it happened when we were little so we go back to feeling little and just feeling terrified and alone and like we're going to be abandoned and so that's why we will guard against it but if we can do it especially with us with another with another you know a, a person who's holding that adult space and we can hold the adult space in ourselves um, then it becomes safe to go there but I find a lot of times I really can't. That's why I'm having trouble with the journaling because I'm scared. I'm scared to go there by myself. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I might just add, I am having, um, as I've been doing this grief work, I'm, you know, what you said about the fours, you know, that they're good at going to those deep places in the heart. Like, I also feel like I'm built for this. You know, um, I struggle with it going there myself or for myself, just like everybody. But the part where I'm holding space for somebody else to go there, that's like falling off a log for me. <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. Because I often feel like I'm not that useful <laughs> as a person in the world. Like there's so much that needs work in the world and I feel like not up to it. But this is something is, that's really needed right now is like elders who can sit with other people in their grief. A lot of people run from it for the reasons we've just talked about, but um, I, I feel really called lately and inspired that like, oh yeah, like this is something I'm here to do. So, and like that being a four is how I've been constructed in order to do this sacred work that needs doing. Yeah, and that's totally the way that I experience you. I mean, you've, <laughs> you've held that space for me. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, that you are stepping into that calling and and you already are I mean you've been doing mm -hmm. it for quite a while yeah yeah it's that thing where you don't notice your gift mm -hmm. right it's just like yeah and you know <laughs> right like um I'm just it's starting to I'll just tell you this this might be useful but it was something Russ said I'm Russ Hudson said and um I'm taking his course nine paths to racial healing um with Russ and uh Dr. Deborah Egerton and he, we did a whole class on grief, which is last week. And he was saying how that grief is this passageway we have to go through in order to transform, but in order to change the world, in order to have a positive impact on the world. Like there's no way around this. And he said, and then he said, that makes most people want to get in bed and pull the covers over their head. Hmm. But I thought that's, that, that thing he just said made me want to get out of bed. Wow. And everything else about the world makes me want to get in bed and pull the covers over my head. But that one thing that makes everybody else want to hide makes me want to come out. Wow. So that's been really cooking in me just for like a week now, but like really like, oh, wait a minute. It's like, it's like being called to be a garbage man. <laughs> like nobody wants to do this job, but I love it. And it needs to happen. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. The garbage man of the soul. That's going to be my new tagline. <laughs>
<laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. No one else wants to do it. So because you know yourself so well, you might be able to anticipate the answer to this question in this calling that you're feeling now of holding space for grief and doing this type of deep work with people. How do you anticipate your foreness is going to try to get in the way of that? Mm-hmm. You know, I had an, an any, I get those any thoughts for the day that you can get through the Enneagram Institute. And one came through last couple of weeks ago. I don't know, a while ago. It said something about releasing being distraught, fatigued, and inhibited. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, ding, 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 ding. That's where I go. Like, it's too much, you know, and I get tired. That's the fatigue thing is, um, it's absolutely emotional. It's rarely physical, but it overtakes me. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't do anything. I can't do my basic tasks. So that still happens, you know, just feeling like overwhelmed. Yeah, right. Well, that's and so then, interesting that that's, that the wording of that, any thought was, just release it like yeah. as if it's something you can just put down because it's something you picked up yeah yeah I don't know what the exact language was but it's something like that it's like yeah notice if you're be if you're distraught fatigued and inhibited you know maybe you could let that go <laughs> I mean but it does kind of it's like what I was saying about misunderstood that word misunderstood it's like oh it's a four thing you know, this experience I'm having right now is a garden variety four thing. And therefore it's not me. And therefore it's not um, required. Right. It's like, it's optional. It is. It's like, and, but what I find that trying to get rid of it doesn't really work, but it's just like, it's like the recognition that that's where I'm at right now. Something about that breaks it up a little bit. So, oh yeah, that's, I've, I've got that going on. You know, maybe it's a, it's a signal that I have something that needs attention, you know, something I'm, I'm not dealing with something in my life. And so I'm reacting in this way instead of dealing with the issue. There's usually, usually it's some emotion that's underneath the turbulence. That hasn't been acknowledged yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's so interesting because I mean, when I think about the word fatigued or overwhelmed, I think about that as a physical thing. Mm-hmm. of you know my body is has overworked itself which is is another way of doing that and that's like that's the way I do it as a one mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's so interesting to me to see on this other side that it can be like this emotional and cognitive cycle that is mm-hmm. exhausting yeah it's this is something I've been working with a lot lately um I there was one day I can remember I was uh I was trying to do a little gardening work. It was kind of hot and I just was dragging. I just felt my whole body was dragging. I'm like, maybe I need a nap. And then I went and journaled instead. Somehow I had the wits or the, I don't know where that came from, but I just started writing what was actually going on. And it was actually rage. And it was like the kind of rage that I felt I couldn't acknowledge because it was petty and selfish. Hmm. Like I was actually mad that my in-laws were coming to visit and that they were staying for four days. Uh you know and they didn't ask me it was like that and I just wrote it all out and then I was not tired anymore 
I did not need a nap. It did not need to rest my body. I, it was resentment. It was like sandbags. And when I got, I got all that out, I was not tired. And I was suddenly looking forward to my in-laws coming. Oh, so wow. that happened too. Yeah. And I didn't even realize that until a little later, I went shopping to get some food. And I was like, I have all this food because we're having company. I said to the cashier, you know, we're having company. I love having company. <laughs> and you're it was like, like this like night and day thing, you know? And then you're standing at the cashier like, who is this Jenny? Yeah. Who is this one? Right. <laughs> Who's that one? Who was that one who could not walk up the stairs an hour ago? Yeah, so many, so many different me's, eyes. Yes, right. A multiplicity <laughs> of eyes. <laughs> yeah. And and noticing that moment to moment kind of busts apart the whole whole four story too, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who I am yeah right right yeah what does that even mean <laughs> I don't feel I don't think about who I am it's like it's not it's not a conscious question in my mind like who am I or it's just running it's kind of a background thing that I'm mm. I think goes on it's hard for me to contact that actually it's it's really subconscious okay. the identity building thing the water that the fish is swimming in <laughs> maybe or maybe it's it's not as as big of a deal with your version of being a four I don't know oh I think it's running all the time it's so central to being a four but it's not like I think about it do you know what I mean it's not like I'm like oh who am I what who you know what's I don't know it's just not I probably should have that question it's a very good spiritual question actually who am I Good journal prompt. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about the beauty, the connection to beauty aspect of being a four mm -hmm. and what that means to you and how that has evolved over time, if at all, how that gets expressed or tapped into. I'm never sure if they mean like aesthetic beauty, the beauty of nature. Or the beauty of, I mean, I, I think of when people share from the heart, people will often say that was beautiful and there's no visual, right? It's just, what is, so what is that? Why do people use that word beautiful when it's like something touched my heart, you know? So I think that's what that word means. And when it's aesthetic beauty or nature, like it touches my heart I know that connection between envy and beauty I can it's, it's like a there's like a thin separation between those for me that beauty often evokes my longing like I want to be immersed in it I want to be closer to it I want to be it and I'm never going to get there mm. it's like this ever out of reach um you know, I'm drawn to beautiful environments and, and even, and then when I'm in a beautiful environment, I'm looking for the most beautiful part of that environment. And sometimes even feeling like unworthy of being there. There's definitely something as like coming back to the body image, body shame thing about like what I think is beautiful or what our culture and therefore I think is beautiful and how, you know, those are, it's so determined by culture. And that's something that I'm looking at because I, 
I'm very harsh on myself. And I feel like there's some standard of beauty that I should always be reaching or, you know, reaching toward or something, or I should have attained by now and shouldn't <laughs> age out of um, or grow out of or whatever. It, and it, it's a torment actually. And I'm, I feel like there's something important in that work for me right now, because if I'm harsh like that on myself and that, that I'm not beautiful enough, then I do that to others as well. And it's separating, you know, whether I'm envious of somebody or judging them, it's separating. And, uh, but that's that sense of, that all the personalities have of like, this essence is me, but I can't get there. And maybe I need to try harder. (laughs) (laughs) Just try harder. (laughs) Yeah, clearly whatever I'm doing, I'm just not doing it hard enough. Right. Almost there. Oh, I'm just, I'm feeling some of the connection to one in what you're saying right now too, with like the standard and the judging and the critic, right? And I've just, in my journey, that is something I've noticed very profoundly is that the more and more I can let go of my opinions about people, the less lonely I feel. Yes, exactly. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting myself in this position where I'm the only one who's right, and therefore I'm alone, or I'm the only one who's a piece of crap, and therefore <laughs> I'm alone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's torture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it just feels imperative, you know, when you're in it, it feels like I need to get this right. Or I'm always going to be alone. Not realizing that it's the thing that I'm doing that is making me feel alone. I've been listening to a lot of, what's the word? Body positivity, I guess, like podcasts and things like that. And like listening to content creators who identify as fat, let's say. And it feels like, oh my God, I just feel like, I can't tell you the sense of belonging it gives me. Even though I'm pretty sure I'm not fat. I mean, I can't even say that. Like I I gained some weight recently that quickly and it's, so I feel different in my body, but you know, I'm realizing my fat phobia, my fat shaming, my fat, you know, my, my thin privilege, my, which I don't think I have anymore. (laughs) I don't know. There's so much going on here, but I know that when I am more embracing of all bodies um, and this includes disabilities too, and all the other ways that p- people are diverse. This is a big thing for me right now. It's like, um, I'm just confronting, I'm confronting my bias and my judgments and um, how, the, in, how they go inward and how they go outward are the same. And I have that remorse that we were talking about, mm-hmm. about how I thought about people and, and the, the, the kind of intense way I've protected my thin privilege. Because, you know, and it's a caste issue. Anyway, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading these days. Yeah. But as I do that, I feel less and less alone. I feel like that was kind of inarticulate because I'm, I'm just I'm swimming around in it right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like worried about offending in how I'm talking about it. <laughs> so if anyone's offended, I apologize. I'm, I'm like a newbie. I'm like a preschooler. And I'm sorry if I said something rude. So... Are there any other turning points 
or major shifts, or it, they wouldn't have to be even major, just shifts that were important for you on your journey as far as self-realization or learning practices or certain people or communities or anything that you want to share that kind of nudged you along on your journey? Hmm. You know, there's so many things. Like I'm one of those people. I'm always going off and doing things. Like something catches my interest and I go do, like go find the person who invented it and then I go take a workshop with them. That's what I've been doing since I went to my first Enneagram training. So it's hard for me to say. So there's, but there's been a ton of, I mean, I could list them all. I feel like it'd be kind of boring, but I love that one of my favorite sayings or whatever is the you know when the student is ready the teacher appears and I find that that just keeps happening and I go through long periods of not being ready <laughs> and then there's no teacher I've been in kind of a fallow period lately but and, and then I'm listening to myself talk on this I'm like I'm doing so much there's so much going on well I guess I can be more specific with my question too <laughs> I mean I know that one thing that is generally spoken about as being helpful for fours is getting into contact with your body that that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the center that gets forgotten yeah and you I mean I think you're, you're kind of touching on some of this with the body shame work mm -hmm. that you're that you're doing now uh, that sounds like connected to that in some ways perhaps but I'm wondering if there are other other ways that are helpful for you to mm. connect with your body or activate your body, listen to your body. Well, in that, you know, in the moment of distress, it really helps to tune into sensation, right? So if I'm having a shame attack or whatever, misunderstood attack or whatever the attack is, it really helps to just let go of the story and experience it as sensation. And that, that's a practice I've been doing since I first learned it, you know. I also remember somebody, it's a, such a distinct memory of the very end of the part one training in Enneagram training, was talking with a woman at the end and she shared with me something that really helped her. She's, she was a two and she gave me some unsolicited advice that I've never forgotten. <laughs> so thank her. Um, to feel your feet and to sense your feet on the ground because it draws the energy out of the heart and the head. It's really grounding, you know, even more than breathing. Um, sometimes when I focus on my breath, I get hyperventilated and I get anxious. But to focus on my feet just like grounds me and, and pulls that energy down. And that has been so helpful for me, especially in like, I used to hate, well, I still kind of don't really like, but like cocktail party type situations or standing up things, things where you have to stand up with others, not my favorite. But to, when I do that practice, I can, I'm, I, I enjoy it more and I can last longer and I'm, I'm just, I like that feeling actually of being solid, being grounded and um, on my feet. That's cool. Yeah. And it's literally the part of the body that's the farthest away from yeah. the head and the heart, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And connected to the earth and gravity and reality. And, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I will say like, like I walk every day. I don't always, I'm not always in my body when I'm walking. If I don't walk, I feel worse, <laughs> but, mm. but and I've had a really rigorous uh, yoga practice at different times of my life, which has been, I don't know, like, I'm sure I got a lot out of that too. Like I recommend yoga, but I'm not doing it now. And I have every day, I think I should, and I don't. 
it's just like it feels like it's so funny. I feel like, like the type one resist my resistance to the type one of like having self-discipline, having like doing the same thing every day or like doing something that's good for me. So it's interesting. Yeah, like don't make me. I almost feel like this with you, like you wouldn't do this. <laughs> like, don't even try to suggest that I should have a regular body practice because I'm not gonna. <laughs> but I actually do have one. And it's 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 just being a sensation. Mm rather than the story. And that to me is more valuable or more important than like going to yoga five times a week or two times a week or whatever. It's like when life happens um, or even, you know, just that, just being in touch with sensation as often as I remember really. And then you, and you then kind of notice it pass away after a certain time or what happens when you bring your attention to it? Yeah, like if I'm having a reaction, you mean? Yeah, if you're having an emotional reaction and then you remind yourself, mm. feel my feet, feel yeah. the sensations. What is yeah. this emotion as a sensation instead of a story? Yeah. How does that then? Well, it depends. It depends what it is. Um, Russ had just mentioned this and I was like, I wish he'd told me this a long time ago. <laughs> but it's like if we, and this is true from my experience, it's that if we stay with anger, it becomes empowerment. And I've had that experience of just like being completely enraged at my mom recently for some stupid thing. And just like this, all this energy and heat. And I took myself out for a walk and I was just like, okay, I'm not gonna fight this. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna let it be, I'm just gonna feel it. And it was like a rush. It was so um, alive and like amazing to, to walk and just, I just was walking and walking and feeling this energy and I was still mad but it kind of faded. And then I was a clarity came in, you know, where I was like, I don't want to blow up this, <laughs> this weekend with my mom and I need to set a boundary with her. You know, I can't even remember now what it was about, but it was, she's up in my business. Like she always is. <laughs> so, but I was, after that, I just was able to come back in and say, you know, cause I kind of blew up and left. I, I, got, I was able to apologize for losing my temper and, and then say, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what the boundary was. It was something like, I think she was in my physical space. Like I just need a little more physical space around me, kind of something like that. But it was, I was able to, um, in the past that would have blown up and I would have had to leave, which happened a lot of times. Or since then I went to the other extreme of just stuffing everything, swallowing it. I'm just not going to make waves. And, and then I would, I don't know, somatize all that <laughs> rage. Um, so this was, there was, so it was empowering to, to be with the, to be with that anger. So interesting that just being with that, without a story then gave you, it opened up this possibility for a different kind of response. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, it was all there. It was all like, oh, I hate this. It's, I mean, I went through the whole thing of this, all this work I've done and our relationship was so much better and now it's all garbage. It was like, it's ruined and I could just never going to talk to her again. You know, like I'm just never talking to my mother again. It's over. Fine. You know, and like a minute and a half later, it passed, you know, because I was just feeling like it. And shame and fear, it's the same process. I don't know which is harder, you know, but what is it, Russ? That shame, if we're with shame, it can lead to a deeper truth in the heart. And that fear, if you're present with the fear, it just becomes being awake, alert and awake. And maybe I had all that going on in that 
story, you know. But those are, those are, you know, those are the three big ones that are hard to stay present with, fear, shame, and rage. Yeah. But they transform with presence. So you've got to have enough, enough presence to be present. <laughs> it's a big if. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. We are getting close to the end of our time, but I just want to check if there's anything else you want to say that, that wants to be said about your experience or, or foreness or anything that we've touched on already. I would just say, I guess what's coming up for me is I'm noticing how, how much I still try to do the work by myself and that just sitting here talking to you, it's like, you know, it's like doing an inquiry practice with someone who's listening and who doesn't have an agenda, doesn't going to give me advice, not going to, it's just going to listen. And how that reveals me to myself, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, <laughs> you see the whole thing. It's like just the power of that, the power of having another way of having someone be interested and ask questions. And I, a lot of times when I do inquiry practice, I'm surprised <laughs> to discover that I'm not the horrible person I thought I was. Mm. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't know. It's like we're, we're digging into things and you think it's going to be all this bad stuff. And a lot of times what I find down there is a lot of good stuff that I've been denying. Mm -hmm. So, so I have this image of myself as like being kind of lazy and fatigued and slacking, you know, and as I hear myself talk, I'm like, clearly that's not exactly what's going on. Right. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for being you. I I have never experienced you as lazy and slack slack. Just following around. You need a little time lapse camera, and then you'll see what I really do all day. <laughs> <laughs> I need a lot of resting. Well, <laughs> all right, <laughs> great. So we're gonna close with a poem, and I have three of them here, so I have to decide which one is wanting to be read. I think I'm going to choose this one is kind of the most simple. <laughs> and it doesn't have a title, but it's by Steve Garnis Holmes. And so what I'll do is just read it through twice. And the first time we can just kind of take it in, get the concepts. And then the second time the invitation is, we'll both listen with all three centers, body, heart, and mind, and then name a word or a phrase that stood out to us in that moment. Okay. I came home from a couple weeks away, but that was yesterday. The first day of summer, my calendar said, though for some it is winter, but that was yesterday. This is the first day of today. This the first moment of now. The migrating bird, the pulsing star, know their cycles without counting. So instead they just dance. Look, even now this moment is looking at you with that look, beckoning you out onto the floor. I came home from a couple weeks away but that was yesterday. The first day of summer, my calendar said, 
though for some it is winter. But that was yesterday. This is the first day of today. This, the first moment of now. The migrating bird, the pulsing star, know their cycles without counting. So instead they can just dance. Look, even now, this moment is looking at you with that look, beckoning you out onto the floor. So anything that stood out to you? But that was yesterday. Hmm. And um, beckoning you out onto the floor. Yeah. What did you? For me, the, just the, the word dance mm. stood out. Yeah, I think for me, that's always a practice that's calling me, but that I have resistance to <laughs> is dancing, literally. <laughs> and yeah, so this, this is just a nice reminder that that's an option. <laughs> mm -hmm. I what? felt a little fear with that. Mm. It had a ping for me too, dancing. And I'm like, oh no, not that, like anything but that a little bit. And, but then this like beckoning, like I'm invited out there to the scary place. To the scary place, yeah. Out from under the covers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. This has been, this has been really fun to hear from you and <laughs> explore the inner world <laughs> of yeah, you. Thank you, it's been fun. And um, I just wanna thank you for being interested in, <laughs> in my existence. <laughs> the existence of this soul on the planet. Oh, you're welcome. Big shout out to singer-songwriter Lynn O'Brien, who provided our theme music for this podcast. You can find her music online at lynnobrien.love. For more on my work, including Enneagram courses, coaching, Enneagram art, and spiritual direction, visit chelseaforbrook.com. Please share this podcast with your friends, and I look forward to having you join us next week for our next epic journey. Until then, may the deep peace of presence be with you.